Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you're in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Today's guest is Chris Winterhalter, who is the CEO and co-founder of Hotel Rehabs. Hotel Rehabs is a national hotel renovation contractor headquartered in Chicago. They have completed dozens of major branded hotel projects across the country, from New York to San Diego. They've been listed on the Inc. 5000 four times, and Chris graduated from the University of Cincinnati, majoring in operations management with focuses on both entrepreneurship and Spanish. He frequently travels to Latin America and is a fluent Spanish speaker. He also co-founded Sustainable Ventures, LLC. Today, the company owns 120 apartment units and has bought and sold dozens of residential properties. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Justin and Well, I'm excited to be here. We're very awesome excited to have you. Have you. I, I know I already said this, but Chris, I have high faith in you and, and your knowledge because you wowed me, certainly, in the pre-interview stuff. So I can only imagine that the people listening are also going to be wowed. And I love set the, set the bar high. Okay. Oh yeah. I like to really shoot out the gate and really, you know, put the pressure on. I feel like, you know, like diamonds, you know, the best diamonds are under the most pressure. Isn't that something? That's a saying. Yeah, right? that's definitely a thing. And I also love how your mind works, Chris. It's very similar to my way of thinking. So I could really relate to a lot of things that your way of thinking uh, when we did the pre-interview. So I want you to kind of speak, you know, be you, be authentic you. Uh, Cause, uh, I think people really need to hear what you have to say. I think it's super awesome. So with that, why don't we get right into it? Tell us about you. Tell us about who's Chris Winterhalter and hotel rehabs. Give us your beginnings and, you know, and all that. The whole life story. Um, start at uh, birth and go up from there. No, no, no. Start at six years old. Nobody starts. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I was born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, went to University of Cincinnati. I was always very, you know, always had this kind of entrepreneurial sense, you know, from lawn mowing businesses, landscaping businesses, snow plowing on my quad, you know, people's driveways, um, and kind of always knew that I wanted to start a business. And, you know, didn't have a lot of exposure to the world really until I studied abroad in Latin America my junior year of college. Um, and so, that kind of exposure to the rest of the world opened up my mind to a lot of different things. And so, but I still had that love for entrepreneurship, still wanted to start a business, businesses, and really kind of play the game, I think. And uh, so uh, essentially, you know, I, I studied abroad um, for about nine months in, in several different countries before I graduated. And, and then ended up moving to San Diego with a buddy of mine. And I was going to start this real estate investment business, uh, these big ideas. You know, I was what, 22, I guess, at the time. And, uh, you know, I was living on uh, an air mattress, a camping air mattress. Um, 
uh, and uh, saving up as much money as I could, working two jobs, uh, just you know, spending every waking minute of my life trying to figure out how I'm going to start this business. And and the first one that I, I was like, I'm going to start this real estate business. And you know, it was back. So this was the end of 2008. If anybody remembers what was starting to happen at the end of 2008, um, it was uh, quite interesting. And and so I I had two other roommates and one of the, one one guy that I moved across the country with and then another person that I studied abroad with and you know I was just you know literally spending every waking minute learning everything I could about real estate how can I start a business and so I eventually started my my first business uh, investing not in San Diego back but back in the Midwest remotely um, at the end of 2008. And I remember I had a corporate job and I went to my boss, I was just promoted. And I went to my boss and told him I'm gonna quit my job. And he was like, what are you talking about? I'm gonna quit my job to go into real estate investment. And uh, I think like the week before Lehman Brothers had crashed. And he, he was <laughs> like, that oh doesn't God. seem like a good idea. And I'm like, I think it's a good idea. And essentially the only thing I had, let's say, nine to 12 months of like planning. And then I had a little bit of like case study success. I was able to like buy and sell this HUD property in like a double close situation. And I made like five grand. So I'm like, if I can duplicate this model, I can do it. And, and then I quit my job and it wasn't as easy as uh, I thought it could be with that case study. Uh, but uh, the next handful of years were definitely a journey. And tons of learning and it was you know spent buying renovating and selling residential real estate so flipping homes great time to flip homes was 2008 uh, 2009 to 2012 but we did market it was so liquid market was so liquid back then <laughs> <laughs> people wanted to buy homes they didn't have any you know couldn't get yeah. any financing there's a great old saying that says you know you know financing sells homes essentially and you know very minimal financing in the market happening and so we, we started, you know, I, I had this plan that I wanted to start investing in multifamilies and build up recurring cash flow. And along those kind of two to three year journey, I met my current business partner today, and he's quite a bit older than I am. And, and he was he was kind of a contractor at heart. And he was doing some contracting work for a hotel GC and it essentially, uh, you know, asked me to, he was like, Hey, you know, I have this, I'm doing this kind of gig for this other hotel GC. Would you like to help me with the business for, you know, 10 hours a week or whatever, while we're, you know, investing in, in real estate. And I said, yes. And, you know, next thing, you know, learning about this other business. And I was like, Hey, we, we can do this other business. We can start, you know, a hotel renovation GC, and here's why we should do it. And the reasons why I liked the, I don't really love construction, but why I love this business were around kind of a handful of things. One, you have this really recurring nature that has to happen in, in our space of hotel renovations. So hotels have to renovate every seven years. For the most part, it's pretty much a requirement. Uh, very capital intensive. It's a model that you can scale nationally. There's better margins. There's more control, um, and so there's all this opportunity within that space. And 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 I saw that uh, kind of opportunity there. And 
And my business partner just, you know, took the journey with me along with kind of continuing our real estate investment stuff. And we ended up kind of pivoting in 2014 to go all in on, on the 2014, 2015 to go all in on the hotel construction side and pause the real estate investment. And um, here we are today, 2022. Beautiful. That is, uh, that's a great lead up to uh, where you're at today. What is it that, where do you attribute the success from? And when we kind of talked in the pre-interview, I feel like we should start with the flaws of the industry because it really, where your success comes from, there's a piece of it that you, I feel like you are solving there. Why don't you talk to us about that? So, you know, we built this construction company, not like a construction company, almost anti-construction company. And there are so many difficult things about construction. I think I read a stat that construction has the highest failure rate um, or one of the highest failure rates um, in uh, related to all businesses. And there's many reasons for that. Um, but essentially, one, uh, one of those is cash flow um, is always a challenging piece. You know, when you're in a what can be a tighter margin business, not properly managing your cash flow, uh, particularly on project work that's kind of unique and complex, can take businesses down. So from day one, we structured our contracts and our business to avoid cash flow problems. We've never once had a cash flow problem. I have a very large line of credit. I've never used it once. You're talking about years. I've never used it once. Additionally, said we're going to be very financially conservative because we there's things that can go wrong and will go wrong. And I think we were honest with ourselves to say things will go wrong. And the best case scenario never exists in construction. Um, I mean, it's just kind of a adage of people in the world that know, you know, construction is going to take twice as long, cost twice as much. There is a reason for that. And so we, you know, we looked at that and said, okay, we need to make sure we realize and recognize that and and not lie to ourselves. Um, you know, we we also, because we didn't build it like a construction company, we said we want to partner with our clients like we understand their perspective from an ownership perspective, because we have this real estate investment company. We did a lot of construction in that real estate investment company by hiring GCs. And we recognized like that we wanted to be a, a fit so they could be successful. We wanted to be a partner with them. That has also, you know, really helped us grow the business and build these long-term relationships by looking at things differently, less transactionally that sometimes you see construction companies. And really kind of leveraged in to say, you know, technology, doing things differently with process where generally construction's fairly archaic, like it's behind. And, you know, from a you know, efficiency and productivity standpoint, it's very far behind almost every industry. Um, uh, and, and, you know, it's, you have a lot of older generation businesses as well. And um, uh, there's also a lot of lack of sophistication. So there's my construction or awful business industry, you know, info out there. Now I feel bad for uh, everybody that's listening and be like, man, you're, you're so harsh for construction. (laughs) I, as I'm listening to this, I definitely agree with you that there's a, a lot of places and, and it's one of the oldest industries in the world too, right? I mean, construction has been around 
forever, right? It's how we built our homes. It's how things were built even a thousand years ago, 5,000 years ago, right? Construction has always been around because it's the building blocks of our civilization. So can you talk a little bit about flaws in the industry around revenue, cash flow, and maybe what you were talking about as far as risk and kind of the growth factor? Like how do those tie in? Yeah, uh, you know, so what's interesting about the, you know, like, you know, all industries, you have segments of size, you know, so you have, and the segments of size are, can be somewhat different in construction compared to other businesses. So, you know, you have small owner operator businesses that a lot of times are around, you know, let, let's say, Justin, you're a great carpenter, you were a journeyman carpenter, and you know you uh, you're good maybe with dealing with people. You do a great job. You like to manage a small team. And you know I'm going to start my own business. You know, and it's really around you being a great you know from the technical aspect of it. And we, you see that a lot in this industry. And what typically can be lacking is the business side. I think both sides. You know, you need both sides a hundred percent. They're vital. One without the other you know, is failure. But a lot of times you see the technical only side of things. And so those small owner operators are not really managing the business like a business, you know, at all. So they're, you know, it's kind of a, a feast or famine situation. They, uh, it's very short term. So it's, it's short term about this is what I have to do. I'm busy right now, now not always recognizing what's happening in three months, six months, 12 months, you know, uh, a lot of lack of just good financial and accounting uh, principles, controls, forecasting, uh, reporting that typically you don't see until the business gets quite large. And, you know, that's, that can create a lot of these failures that you see in the industry. And so even when you get into like mid-sized companies, you still see a lot of lack of sophistication. One thing that I love about the industry is the bar is set lower, I, I feel like. And so there's a lot of opportunity. That opportunity is not you know, easy to capture because you know, it is um, a difficult business. And you know, the, the other piece is scale can, scale can kill construction companies um, if it's not done correctly. And so you see these small business owners that might, you know, Justin, you might have done an amazing job and you have more referrals and more business that you know what to do with. And that growth kills you. And all of a sudden you had more business than you know what to do with. You couldn't manage the cash flow. You lost money, had to lay off a bunch of people, did poor quality work, and your business just turned a 180. And it happens a lot in, in the industry. Well, first, Justin's carpentry business is, is just fine, Chris. I want to tell you that. That's, that's first and foremost, obviously. But so that, that's one side of the coin. The, the, the tradesman or the person that, that operationally or you know, does the technical component really well and says, I can do this for myself. I can go off and do this. And then they find the hardships of just running a business. It's just, it's very difficult. They're skill sets that they haven't done before. But what about the, you know, Justin, the, the house builder that can build 10, $1 million houses in a year. And like, this is, this is my thing. Like I can, I can do this. And I've, I've built out my, my empire of, of my 10 houses a year. And like, where did those struggle? So you can essentially build a business 
but then what happens? Well, this is the other piece of, you know, let's say you, you're, you're doing a dozen houses a year, you're building a dozen million dollar houses a year. Let's say you are, you're a tight owner operator. You, you keep really tight controls as far as you as, as a manager on that business. And let's say you have good margins in your business, the, that person, you know, in your home building business, you want to step away. What happens is that building 12 homes a year, $12 million homes, isn't really a big staff. It's a pretty small staff. And so you want to step away from being that, you know, salesperson, maybe the estimator, maybe part-time project manager, maybe part-time construction manager. You want to step away from that. You know, you might have a staff of five to 10 people plus, you know, your, your trades or any W-2 skilled labor that you have. But being able to step away from that means that all of a sudden the leadership you know, a team that you were running as five different people, yourself as a leadership team, it has to be built out. And so what what we what I typically see is to get to that next level where you want this to actually operate as a business um, is painful because you, Justin, you have to go hire five people or you know, five more people to do the same thing. And your margins are going to drop in the short term until you hit the next kind of phase of scale. And see that consistently where people get frustrated, owner operators get frustrated in the business because they feel like they're trapped and they can't walk away. Um, and they maybe they try to hire somebody, but they really can't figure out the right structure to be able to step away. It's, I get it. It's a challenging thing, you know, for, uh, for scale. So, and obviously you're not uh, a tradesman, you're not a construction guy in, in the, uh, in the loosest terms of that, <laughs> of that stereotype really. So do you think it's important to have somebody that is more like maybe more of a partner where it's like one is without question can do the construction work and one person that is very business mind, you know, does the finance operation stuff. Is that, is that the secret recipe for success? Is it being a partner or is it one or the other, or is it the well, one pray I, and hope for the best or I'm a pretty good trim carpenter, pretty good finished carpenter. Okay. <laughs> um, not, not so great at, uh, you know, rough carpentry, but you know, I can get around. I think that that can be a, a, a good recipe. I don't think it has to be. I do think it's difficult for somebody to, to walk in and build a construction company, you know, without any experience in the construction world, whether it comes from the project management side, you know, the business side, the, the trade side, the field side. And like, it's extremely rare to see people that run commercial construction businesses that are not like second generation or that are younger generally. It's fairly rare. Um, and, you know, and because of kind of what you're alluding to, you know, there's a variety of, there's a technical skill set that you need from somewhere. And the business skill set piece, you know, is, is, is another component. But a lot of times you're not seeing somebody with just a true business mindset say, I want, I want to go start a construction company, probably because they're smart. <laughs> Chris, I'm not sure what that says about you. <laughs> you know, a lot of inner reflection I'm going to be doing after this. <laughs>
so continue. Yeah. Let's... Remember, I'm trash talking a lot about construction, but I love my construction company. So <laughs> okay. I'm sure our listeners love to hear that. <laughs> so why don't you why don't you talk a little bit about you know since you've mentioned it a few times, it is part of the name of our podcast, scalability. How do you keep that top of mind on a daily basis? So, you know, I've thought about this and pretty much from day one, we have had the vision of scale. And I don't know if that was just, I'm sure that was intentional in my mind, but thinking back, like literally we have always looked at and approached the business from scale. You know, everything from, you know, how we were dealing with clients and being extremely sensitive to how we say no to core work and how we manage those client relationships. And even when, you know, let's say you've been over capacity, how we make sure we don't jeopardize the pipeline along the way. But really, you know, our kind of our, our iteration from our first kind of action plan that, you know, I wrote up when we launched to, you know, our, our annual planning today is all built around scale. You know, we need to build something today that supports the business that we want in 12 to 24 to 36 months. And we've continued to double down on that. I think if you, if if that's not at the forefront, particularly for construction, scaling is going to be extremely difficult because it's very easy to go like this in construction where you scale, you, you scaled too fast and one part of the business wasn't able to keep up and then you go down and then you try to do it again. And it's challenging. We had with, with, with COVID, you know, our projections were, were going to be a little more linear and, you know, we had this kind of spike because of COVID that is also very challenging um, to, to deal with. So if you're not planning for those things, it can take the company down. When we say spike, you're saying spike up in business, not spike down. Yeah. Yeah. Our We're on our same, we're actually above our pre-COVID growth trajectory to where we are, but we had a bigger spike than we had planned because of, you know, we did less uh, revenue than we had planned during COVID. So we had a bigger spike after, not after COVID, but, you know, currently as we're getting out of um COVID. So they're the first stages of COVID. So that can't be, you know, technology can't be the only thing that has helped you scale or was it? No. So, I mean, think about the lack of skilled labor in construction. I mean, it's been going on for a long period of time, right? Your, your parents probably didn't tell you, and maybe they did. And if they did, they were also smart, you know, Justin will go start, you know, go be a carpenter, go be a plumber. Like go to college, even if you went to you know a private liberal arts school third tier and got a communication degree that is worthless. No offense to anybody that has it, but you know it's been for the last twenty plus years we've been you know pushing people away from the trades and it's created continued really wage inflation in the industry. It's created a huge gap for lack of skilled labor. It's continually seen in the industry. And, you know, we, and it's not only in skilled labor trades, it's across project management, any really corporate back office uh, functions and corporate uh, project management, estimating business development, you know, et cetera, piece for construction companies. 
It got worse in the last crash, in the 09 crash, and uh, which created a, a huge vacuum. And so right now we have a lot of continued demand and huge gaps of skilled labor across the board. So from day one, and it's actually played out to be a pretty good decision. You know, sometimes you make decisions and they don't always play out that way. But on this decision, I generally look fairly good, and we do as a business. We we took this, we were going to do in-house recruiting really in this, you know, uh, LinkedIn, very highly social, very like outsourced recruiters way and in an aggressive way. We're going to build a very niche database because hotel renovation staffs you know, for construction companies are very niched, right? There's only handfuls of these people. And, you know, we, we were a five person company. We brought on somebody on a temp basis who, you know, has grown, you know, he's grown this LinkedIn presence. He's grown this recruiting presence. He's grown thousands and thousands of candidate databases and in just a wonderful way. And so we have built this recruiting engine that we can get strong, good talent in, in the company quicker, faster, more efficiently than our competitors. So, you know, we, you know, we've hired like in the last eight months, we've hired 30 people um, in the company. And, um, you know, these are, you know, large and generally average salaries of, of high, high dollar amounts um, and, you know, great people right in the organization. And I would say because of all the investment that we've done in that over the last five to six years. So professional services firms, construction services firms, right? Very people heavy. If you're not differentiating yourself in a way where you can attract talent or you don't have a strategy around it, you're not going to be able to grow, in my opinion. Some uh, great insight there. And why so early? Did you, what, did anything happen uh, when it was so early? Like as a five person company, your sixth person is recruitment, right? Most people, it doesn't matter what company you are, unless you're an actual staffing company, that's not a, that's not a thing. So what, what was the sparker? What was the thing that led you to believe that you needed to do that? One, I didn't want to pay outsourced recruiters. <laughs> and I just, I'm like, why are we going to pay these outsourced recruiters when one, I think we can do it better in-house because of how niche it is. And, and two, I'm like, if we're going to be scaling and we're going to be paying, you know, 20 to 30 grand for every hire, like it'll be very quick that we can build and invest in this, you know, internally. And I wasn't quite hundred percent sure at the time, you know, most of our competitors, you know, smaller than us, nobody really has a recruiter, even competitors larger enough larger than us, like maybe their office manager also does some recruitment, but, you know, it's been really the key to our growth success or one of the major keys to our growth success. So people definitely, I mean, can't have companies without people. Not really. Gotta have, gotta have uh, people that you surround with, otherwise you're not scaling. So we definitely hear that. But something else that I heard in the pre-interview, and I'm hoping that you will uh, I'm hoping this will come out again. You know, what advantages have you seen from starting the company paperless? And is there a term, you know, that you used around this? Yeah. So I'm missing uh, happy hour bowling today, and I saw somebody fly by my office on a small bike. So. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> that's um, culture right there. That that's the epitome of culture. Missing happy go. hour bowling and somebody flew by your uh, office in a bike. <laughs> yeah. So um, the the paperless piece uh, and kind of the technology piece. So from day one, we're like. We're not going to have a server, you know. We're not going to print paper, and so uh, we we kind of doubled down on that from from day one and said, okay, how do we do things differently? How do we build with you know technology being at kind of the forefront of what we're doing for a variety of reasons? One, we wanted to differentiate what we were doing in in the space. Two, you know, we work across the U.S., so from a virtual standpoint, you know, we we've We've been dealing and working in sites across the US where we've had to connect, you know, with project managers that might be 10 states away daily with a field superintendent and being able to, you know, connect via communication, photos, videos, et cetera, to make sure we're effectively managing these projects. And yes, you know, having a physical site presence is key. But you know, this is a huge supplement to that, that, you know, that we can kind of lead from the technology side. And so we've seen a lot of benefits of it. It's allowed us to kind of continue to scale, you know, from the remote work standpoint. I mean, we had people come into the office, but we've always had people work from home. We've always had virtual people, you know, in the company. And yeah, a lot of companies, you know, outside of our industry might have been you know, not that uncommon, but in in our industry, fairly uncommon. That's really rare, actually. Unless you're a yeah. super big company, that is super rare to have that kind of thought process and philosophy. Obviously, helps helps you with scale. Yeah, but from day one, we said, how can we, you know, how can we leverage technology from kind of point one of the recruitment, onboarding, you know, the training piece to all the way through how are we actually managing the workflow communicating as a team you know to 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 kind of close out and i'm glad we have it's paid off as you're talking about technology uh can you talk a little bit about how tech has helped the training process yeah that's a great question we're also working on trying to launch a hotel rehabs university right now so it's also a little front of front of mind, but we got the inside scoop. Uh Oh, <laughs> got the inside scoop. So the field, you know, you have field construction generally, you know, if, if, if it, maybe this resonates or maybe it doesn't, but if you're in construction, uh, if you've been in construction for even a short period of time, there's always been this kind of dynamic between the field and the office, right? You know, it's like front of house, back of house, if you worked in a restaurant, but, you know, even more conflict. Um, and, you know, the from, you know, comments like the field, you know, field does things differently, right? They're, you know, they're built differently. And so, you know, our field people live at these hotel renovations. So they live at the hotel. So they're traveling 100% of the time for long periods of time. So they might be in four states, you know, on four hotels for the entire year traveling, you know, outside of going home a hundred percent of the time. And there's, you know, generally we, we hired these people and we've always had from across the U S so they haven't always been in any home location. So then how do you train these folks? Um, you know, are you going to fly them to a home office? And then maybe also fly another trainer that's also not at the home office 
there to train. And so that's where we had to say, okay, you know, and we, we built this through a plan grid technology, but okay, from the field perspective, all the training components that we're going to do, we're going to lay out from, you know, this, this software, and we're going to integrate them as we've built the training components in, in each, you know, kind of section. And then we're, we're going to monitor that training and follow up with that training along the way. And it's all going to be done in real time through shadowing and can be set up, you know, virtually wherever we are. So that kind of one example that has been very meaningful uh, for, from day one. So you obviously have to be able to communicate with your people and your people need to be able to collaborate. And really the end result is you need to be able to have good communication around project management. What tool or tools do you use for collaboration and project management? Well, probably too many right now. One of our three-year goals is to truly be a technology leader and to, you know, truly integrate all of these things that we have. And we every software that we have serves a purpose, but it's definitely not as streamlined and as simple as it can be. And so we use plan grid in the field and coordinating with kind of project management. We also use finance and accounting kind of project management the software for cost accounting called Premier. Also use Basecamp for all of our checklists across the teams. We also have a very niched because we we buy and we do turnkey projects for hotels. So we, we have a whole purchasing and design division that buys furniture, hotel furniture from across the US. We have a whole separate software for that FFE that we, that, that we purchase. And then a lot of some automated and some manual ways to kind of integrate these things. Uh, they, we, we've gotten it, we've put a lot of time into getting it to all function, but I, I would, we really need to have a way to fully kind of streamline it, so. Look at that. That that means you're not perfect there, Chris. And I, maybe perfect. the listeners were like, oh, this is my North Star. I need to be more like Chris. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. Maybe a little bit. Always room for improvement with scale. That's why it's one of our core values, continuous improvement. There's always, there's always something you get a little better at. So one thing unique about hotel rehabs is obviously the niching of hotels and rehabbing just hotels. Tell me uh, or tell us why that's so important. Well, remember when I bashed the entire industry of construction? Uh, we do. We do remember that. Definitely remember that. <laughs> well, the niche is the main reason why I actually love the business. So, you know, our ability to kind of narrow down on the specific niche, you know, and we're able to create a lot more value for what we're doing and really create a more of a premium service versus what can be kind of commoditized in commercial general construction. So if you're, you know, a commercial general contractor and you kind of do all commercial things in a local market, you're fairly commoditized with the others. Because we're so niched down and we and we work across the US and our model is built for that, we're able to serve a large need from our clients, but also we're able to, you know, have a, a better margin while we're doing that. And we're able to create these long-term partnerships as well, which is great. And so we can have stronger margins, but also be adding a ton of value to our clients from kind of a variety of things. One, we have the expertise to be able to work in a, 
occupied spaces. So all these hotels are always fully operational, 90% of the time, fully operational. So we're phasing in the renovations. We understand how to deal with kind of the revenue displacement of the hotel, which is huge. If you think about renovating a hotel and you think about putting rooms offline and how much that actually costs, it's massive. So if we can figure out how to streamline that in our commercial general contractor competitor doesn't know how to streamline that, even if we're more expensive, we could be less expensive. So that kind of niche understanding of it is, is critical. Two, you know, we have all of this specialized knowledge across major brands, Marriott, Hilton, Hyatt, IHG. So those four US, major US parent brands have 80 plus sub-brands. We have a, a you know, huge amount of internal knowledge that we continue to focus to be a you know, thought leader in the space. And so we can also leverage that to help our, be a partner to our clients to minimize either costs or you know, maximize what they're trying to do there. We also, because you know, we internally purchase all of our construction materials as well, and we negotiate, highly negotiate those prices let's say for tile and we're buying, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of square feet of, of, of this stuff where our commercial general contractor competitor, they're going to have their tile installer price it. That local tile installer price is going to get a local price. Yeah. It might be builder price, but it's not a nationally highly discounted negotiated rate that we might actually get from the manufacturer. <laughs> so that's another component of it. And then, you know, our, our kind of national labor model that we're able to bring in um, as well as another component, so. Well, that is a level of scale that I don't think I've heard yet in terms of purchasing power. So that's a, that's a great way to really amplify scale. Were you able to, did the turnkey work come from niching down? The turnkey, did not. The turnkey came from kind of in the beginning, I, I mentioned, you know, we really wanted to be kind of leaders in our space and, you know, great partners to our clients. Kind of our pledge has always been, how can we help our clients achieve their project goals and minimize the pain of construction? And it's, it's very, very true. It's easier said than done, but it, it's very powerful when we execute on that. And so, the turnkey piece came from, all right, how are we being a good partner to our clients? How are we minimizing the pain for them and helping them achieve what they're trying to do? The turnkey came from that because it was a need in the space that, that we slowly experimented with and has become like this huge, huge need in the industry, particularly for a segment of branded hotels um, that have grown in the last 20 years. And just that kind of niche. So for example, six years ago, 5% of our business was turnkey. Today, 65% of our business is turnkey. Wow. We actually still uh, don't fully, fully promote it in a big way. And so, you know, we've been building the infrastructure and I'm getting, I'll be really excited when we get to the point where we can literally slam the gas on the pedal at, because there are, there's just a huge opportunity in what we can do in that space for the private investment community, you know, private equity community, all the hotel ownership community in really a massive way. 
A lot of our big competitors have stayed away from it because it can be painful. So we've been dealing with, I would say a big part of our challenges and problems the, the last you know years of growth, big chunk of them have come from the design build turn. That's always the secret though, right? The more painful the thing, the sweeter the opportunity, at least that can be the case at times. Yeah. That's some great stories here. So some great nuggets. So thanks, thanks for sharing all that. So Chris, we have one more question for you. And this is, you said you're going to have a lot of reflection after the podcast. So we want you to reflect now on if you could go back 20 years and tell yourself something, what would that be? 20 years. Um, let's see here. I would be 16. I have to keep this above board for the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, obviously everybody goes back in time to, you know, buy Bitcoin and Google and all those fun things and uh, make yourself rich. And then, you know, take a little bit of the 16 year old out of us. Yeah. <laughs> but if yeah. you're in a business sense of things, what would you tell yourself? You know, I would probably tell myself, play the long game. And I don't necessarily think that I haven't done that, but like really play the long game in business and, you know, also, you know, continue to start early in building a kind of a portfolio of companies and real estate. So not a ton of changes from what I've done, but really kind of double down earlier, probably take some more risks related to other things. And lastly, probably have fun playing the game. I've had a lot of fun. But I've also worked really hard. And I think it's important to kind of remind yourself of that. Uh, have fun while you're playing the game. That's a great advice there. That, that's some great advice to tell yourself. I'd love to be able to go back in time and say some similar things. Awesome. Chris, thank you for sharing your stories and your experience and your entrepreneurial tax. And I hope that people that are listening, you know, got something out of that because when it comes to scale, you definitely have a pinnacle that a lot of other AEC construction, I mean, the whole shebang have not achieved and might not ever be able to achieve. Maybe by listening to you, they'll have a shot at being able to do that. Thank you, Justin and Will, for having me on the call today. A lot of fun chatting. I hope we get to do it again soon. I was just about to say, Chris, that you'd be interested in coming back because you're built for this show. You like, you could be a third host, maybe. Like your scalability, building scale, you are totally like in the zone. I love it. I think you need to have me back in 12 months from now, and then uh, I can tell you how I'm doing with scale. So I don't, we'll do it. It's, we'll it's do on. It. it sounds like you've already booked your, uh, booked your next episode with us that's what i heard i love it all right if you if you need to get in contact with chris he can you know reach out to him through linkedin uh we'll put all the show notes uh both hotel rehabs himself as well and then is there anything else you want to tell the people chris play the long game play the long game love it all right chris you have a fantastic day and this is being recorded before the super bowl so you got a big prediction uh, who day? Oh, oh, Mr. Cincinnati himself. Oh, All right. <laughs> Thank you very much, Chris. And we can't wait to have you back on in 12 months. Thanks, guys. Take care. Right, bye. Right, thanks. 
Thank you for joining us today and listening to this episode. If this episode did help you, then be sure to share it with someone else who needs to hear it. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or looking for additional help on your journey to find more wealth, scale, and freedom in your AEC company, visit our AEC resources page at spotmigration.com backslash AEC hyphen resources. resources.